Do you feel stuck in your life, career, or business? And are you ready to take things to the next level? If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is David Trotter, and I'm a transformation coach passionate about helping people just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals. My superpower is helping people experience tremendous breakthroughs in a short period of time. If you give me 12 weeks, I'll help you launch that new project, go after that better job, or overcome that challenge in your business. To find out how I can help you, head on over to insporising.com slash coach. That's insporising.com slash coach. I like doing things chicks don't do. So do chicks do this? Can I do this? I'm going to do this. Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter, and I'm a business growth consultant. I'm passionate about helping business owners just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals, all without the paralyzing overwhelm, feeling all alone, or wondering what the heck to do next. I'm a former pastor and a serial entrepreneur who's passionate about personal growth because that's what's helped me cultivate peace in my life and empowered me to love my amazing wife, Laura, of 26 years and our two almost grown kids. So if you're all about business, personal growth, and peace in your life, you're in the right place. I'm super glad that you're here. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Inspiration Rising. It is great to be with you today. When I was growing up, I remember my dad talking about in PE class when he was a kid, I guess in high school or something, they had boxing. And he said that he got in the ring for a two-minute fight. I believe it was two minutes. And he said it was the longest two minutes of his entire life. Like, And that's what I think about when I think about boxing. Just sounds exhausting right? And getting punched, like, I don't want to get punched. I've been punched as a kid once in the stomach was not a good thing. Uh, and was slightly embarrassing because my dad went and found the kids and then had a conversation. And, you know, I was like, oh, geez. Uh, but, you know, as parents, we want to protect our kids. I love it. I, I really appreciated that, you know, in retrospect. But who wants to get punched? I don't want to get punched. Mike Tyson is known for saying, Well, he's known for a lot of things, but he is known for this quote. He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, you know what you're going to do. You're going to defend yourself. You're going to, right? And that's true not only if you step into the ring, but oftentimes just when you're living life. Things in life punch us in the face, right? We're not looking for it. And then just bam, you get popped right in the nose and you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. What do I do now? That's the question that Tiffany Cook has asked herself over the course of her life. And Tiffany is an incredible woman. She developed a successful career in the printing industry, right? Professional printing, printing all the things that you print, you know, printing. She lives in Australia and she came across a corporate boxing challenge. I don't know if you've ever heard one of these of these things, but it basically takes people who are you know, kind of rubbery. Uh, they're, they're in their corporate career, um, snacking on all the snacks and turns them into a boxer within several weeks. And so she signed up for one of these boxing challenges, learned how to box and ultimately stepped in the ring for her first fight. It absolutely changed her outlook on life. And I cannot wait for you to hear how 
uh, the depth of her answers and the depth of her processing as a person. I'm just very impressed with her. Spoiler alert, she actually left the corporate world and is now a fitness and performance coach, as well as the host of Roll With The Punches podcast, which I was honored to appear on as well. So let's jump in with Tiffany Cook. Tiffany, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, David. I've been looking forward to this. We got along like a house on fire last time we spoke. It was super fun. Um, all right. So I want to go back to your childhood, all right, which is only 18 years ago, probably, you know, not too long. I still feel like a kid. Good, good. Um, I tell that to my wife and she's like, okay, that's not good. Grow up, please, Tate. Please <laughs> grow up. Um, were you kind of more of a rough and tumble kid that was, you know, I don't know if you had siblings, like brothers that kind of beat on you or, I mean, this is so stereotypical, such a stereotypical question, but I'm going to ask it. You know what I mean? Like I was the kid that didn't want anybody to touch me. Like, just stay away. Like I'm good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Were you kind of more like physical and rough and tumble? I really like that you asked this question because I've never been asked it before and I've never really thought about it before. And when I think of how people that meet me now as Tiff the Boxer, I do a lot of business networking and one of the most powerful thing I do is tell people who was Tiff before this because when they connect those two stories, they're like, oh, you realise the perception that a boxer, a female boxer has. You're like, oh, well, you were totally different to me. You, You must be like this type of person. You've had this type of childhood. So no, I was I was a fiery kid. I was a very free-willed, free-spirited kid. Um, I was very, but no, not physical and I wasn't a fighter and I wasn't in fights and, and in fact, don't like confrontation, never liked confrontation and would avoid it at all costs and in, in most cases still do. <laughs> How would your... Uh... Your either your mom or dad or whoever raised you, how would they describe you? Would you say, as a kid, yeah, a handful, an absolute <laughs> handful. So I do have a brother, and he's seven years older. And it's quite funny because my mum wanted she wanted her little girl. She had this beautiful little boy, and but all she wanted was this little girl. And after seven years and a couple of miscarriages, along I came. Her dreams wow. came true, and I was a handful. So just think the kid, so she would, she would often tell me, I'd get you both dressed. I'd get Ricky dressed and I'd put him on the couch and he'd sit there with his shoulders back, not moving. He was the type of kid that would cry if his hands got sticky because he was dirty. I was the little girl. She goes, I'd, I'd get you dressed and I'd go into the other room to grab something. I'd come back. I'd come back one day and you were climbing on the stovetop, turning on the switches into everything. Could wow. not take your eyes off me. I remember a story, actually, this is a favourite of hers to tell, my brother, which she took us clothes shopping and for school clothes and my brother was with us and I was, of course, down in my little frilly frock and I was down on the ground sticking my head into the into the clothes racks and I was like, Mum, Mum, look at this. Mum, I've stuck my head into the little triangle bottom rack thing. I want to show Mum that I've got my head in this thing because that's something to be proud of, Mum. Look, Mum. She looks down and my mum was quite well-to-do and proper. And she's like, Tiffany, get up, get up off there. And then, so I went to whip my head out and my ears were stuck. I couldn't get my head back out. <laughs> so, so, of course, then I'm crying 
they had to go down the road to where there were workmen working on the road. They had to bring their tools up and they had to dismantle the clothes rack to get my head out. So I was that was me as a kid. So was, <laughs> do you feel like your head was a kind of like bigger than average as well? Or was that? It's just the ears got stuck, you know, like I'd find a way to get it. I was, I was, I'd find a way to get into things. Yeah. Wouldn't so, think about how to get out of it. it wasn't a think ahead <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing about big heads, when my son, who's now 18, when he was, you know, a younger kid, his head was a little bigger. And so they were concerned that, oh my gosh, he might have some sort of disease or something. And so they measured his head. It was really off the chart. And they said, you know, the number one way we can tell if his head is average for genetics is if you go home and measure your husband's head, if it's above a certain amount, we know your kid's totally fine. She came home and she's like, you know, trying to measure my head. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so she does it. And she, I don't even remember what the measurement was, but she goes, shoo, your head is huge. Okay. We're our kids. Okay. Now (laughs) I was like, okay. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. Big head. Yeah, I don't have an abnormally large head, no. Maybe my ears just stick big. out too much. Yeah, it doesn't look big. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's metaphoric metaphorically, it's huge. A huge head <laughs> at times. <laughs> so let's talk about boxing. How did you get into boxing? I mean, were you of was your family into like fans of boxing? Marvelous Marvin Hagler just died a few days ago. I don't even know if you know mm. who he is. Yes, you know yeah, he is? yeah, yeah. I did 80s? hear that. Yeah, yeah, he just passed away. I was sad. Yeah, it was a boxer I watched as a kid growing up. But um, yeah. were you into boxing as you were growing nah. up, or was this something new nah. for you? In fact, after I started boxing, it only occurred to me that when I was a teenager, one of my friends was dating a boxer, and I remember going to an event and watching him, and I couldn't watch. I was like, I can't watch this. This is awful. This is yeah. brutal. I couldn't watch it. And I remember times when I was one of my boyfriends was into – the UFC fighting there, and I just couldn't, I could not watch it. So it's quite interesting. I got into boxing at the ripe old age of 29 because at 29 I was still running around like a child doing things for attention, seeking attention, David, believe it or not. <laughs> but I, I was working in corporate and I worked in corporate. I worked in the print industry in sales and I'd moved from Tasmania, which is a little little state in Australia. I'd moved from Tasmania to Melbourne to live in the city. And I went to a talk on resilience. And this talk was delivered by someone who's been on my podcast, Paul Taylor, and he's a neuroscientist and he's been a former Navy aircrew officer. He's done all the interrogation training. So he delivers this talk on resilience. And after that talk, we go downstairs into the gym facility and there's this beautiful functional movement gym and I still do a lot of the stuff that that those guys taught us. But underneath there was a basement boxing gym and on the wall of that gym there was this poster that had these two dudes in corporate suits wearing gloves and it was advertising Executive Fight Club 12-week challenge. And I was like... I like doing things chicks don't do. So do chicks do this? Can I do this? I'm going to do this. Yeah. Great idea, Tiff. Great idea. So off I go. <laughs> off wow. I go. Throw my own and down. I don't even think we can say that word chick anymore. So like I'm just going to edit that out. This is like an explicit podcast now. <laughs> okay. But 
um, women, lady, lady, um, yeah. So lady boxes. <laughs> so were they? Uh, were there females who were boxing in this program, or were you the first? No, I wasn't the first. There were females doing it, and so I signed up, and away we went. Twelve weeks. Now before that, I had done a handful of classes at the local PCYC club, just the fitness boxing classes. I remember, I remember being there in flailing my pale pink gloves around, thinking to myself, and I'd never say it. I was a very shy person back then as well, very, very introverted, very shy, not much confidence. Definitely wouldn't find me dead behind a microphone speaking to anybody, that's for sure. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's why boxing for me has just been a powerful, powerful tool. But one of two, and we'll talk about that. But um, I remember being there, hitting the bag and thinking, thinking, I just wish that Susie or Roy, the trainers, would would want like would come and tell me that I've got it, and that I should fight. Like tell me, hey, you've you you should do you're good. You should do yeah. this. And like, I wasn't yeah. good. I was flailing around with pink gloves. Like I was I was same as everybody. But in my mind, I had this fixed mindset where you can't just choose something. This is what I grew up thinking. You can't just choose something and learn it and do it and be good at it you will have a talent or you won't have a talent and someone else will tell you. So that's what I was waiting for. But when this when this challenge came up and it was kind of framed in this event thing where it was just, it's just a whole bunch of fun and anyone can do it, like that's literally zero to hero, you don't need any experience, I was like, that's my jam, I'm doing this. And so during those 12 weeks, like you're learning, were you learning? I, obviously, you're working out. Were you, were you working out before that? You were a fit person or? I had I had just started to, I'd done a lot of Bikram yoga and okay. I started to go to the gym and do stuff. And I was, But I was never very committed. So mm-hmm. I didn't have any level, kind of any sporting background or any level of dedication. I didn't have personal trainers. I just kind of went and I, and I would do different things all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was definitely a, a, a huge step up. So this took me for 12 weeks we were training most nights, so every every night of the week and obviously learning strategy and getting it. And, you know, you're taking people from zero. So you got to teach me how to how to throw a punch. Then you got to teach me about movement and fight strategy and how to move my feet and how to block a punch and all of this stuff. I remember the a couple of weeks in and I told everyone straight up, everyone in the world knew that I was doing this because I had a big mouth. <laughs> and we... We were standing, I was standing in front of one of my, who'd become my friend, one of my friends, and we had to learn the first, the first part of defense. So hold your gloves here high on your head. And as the person floats their arm across, because we weren't doing full punches for this drill, it was just, flo- as that person floats the punch across to your face, what you're going to do is turn and just block the punch and keep your eyes forward and open and all of that stuff. And of course, I just had this enormous lump in my nut in my throat that I was gonna I was like this is so confronting and every time that punch came at me my eyes would close I'd spin right around and I could I couldn't control my movements or my reactions and for me that was very confronting and it triggered me a lot and I just remember thinking I I didn't ever cry in front of people but I thought as soon as this I'll hold on to this and as soon as we're out of here as soon as that bell goes I'm out in my car and I'm gonna have a big cry about this like it's, I'm just holding it in by a thread. Mm. It was terrifying. And that was what the 12 weeks was like. And 
and obviously with the the voice inside my head telling me in no uncertain terms, you are ludicrous at this, ludicrous. So yeah, a big it was a big moment. Was a big I can't. Even, I would close my eyes too. Yeah, for sure. I thought, the only thing that I have in my head about boxing is my dad telling me that when he was in high school, they did a boxing class or something in PE and they actually boxed and. He said it was the longest two minutes of his entire life. It was just, it was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. I I, I can't even imagine. I would be closing my eyes too. I can't believe you, you have to keep your eyes open. I see that, but okay. So you get through it though. You stick with the 12 weeks. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And at the end, did she finally say, Tiffany, you've got what it takes. (laughs) No one said, no one said that. So this event was held by a different trainer, so there was no Susie or Roy. There was Dale. Dale was a world champion uh, boxer and kickboxer, so he had a great reputation. Uh, I remember we only sparred two times before we got on the ring in that fight night. Now, when we went, that fight night was a huge black tie event with hundreds and hundreds of people sitting at the tables, and it was aired on Foxtel. So we're talking huge cameras, huge lights, just like your professional fight nights. So there's a lot of bells and whistles. And the girl that I was going to be fighting, she was a very fit personal trainer at the gym and she didn't train with us. So everyone else was training with with everybody and we all got to mix around and fight, you know, and, and spar them and get to know them and she... She wasn't. She was training and she was training with the boys in her own time because she was a trainer and couldn't train at the same times. But she was telling, she had told everyone that she's got it easy. She's, she she's hits harder than me. She's stronger than me. She's fitter than me. Are you wearing headgear? So, head, whatever you no, call it? No. Your head is because exposed. Our head is exposed because they're, they're professional fights and they're amateur fights. And for these uh, corporate fight nights, because of the structure of the event, they need to be held as um, they need to be held under the professional code, and the professional code is no headgear. Okay. Yeah, no headgear, and usually smaller gloves. But I think we had the little bit bigger gloves for the for our fights. So yeah, funny thing though, I prefer no headgear. You kind of get used to it. Headgear is gets in the way and it brings yeah. your face closer to the punch and it's it's kind of annoying so not a fan of it but yeah. um I remember I remember the moment I know I'll jump back and forward with things I want to tell you but you you talked about that two minutes I remember getting into that fight and the bell goes and we start and I remember at 20 like I reckon it would have been felt like 20 seconds it was probably 10 seconds in I was like Rah! and I, in my head I thought Oh, this is, I can't keep this up. What am I, this is so hard. I'm going to have to back it off. Were there two minute, it was two minute rounds? Yeah, two minute rounds, three two minute rounds. And and I started, so I thought I'll better back it off and just be a bit, you know, defense was never my thing. So if I backed it off, my my offense was my defense and that's all I had. So when I backed it off, she clocked me for a couple and I was like, all right, that strategy is not working. I'm just going to have to weather it. You know, so I had, to, you know, but yeah, I just, I remember clear as day, that moment of thinking, whew, I'm empty and I'm, we're, we're like 20 seconds in. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a lifetime and yet it's over in a heartbeat. And so what happened? Tell me about those three. Did you make it to, did she knock you out? Did you get to three Definitely rounds? Not. No, didn't get to three rounds. Won it in two. No way. 
way. Yes. TKO so or did you knock her out? TKO. TKO. So I'll take it. Let me let me wind back. We'll move. I'll wind back to the day of the fight. So we get to the day of the fight, and I didn't get to sleep because I because I went ping the day before and realized that there was going to be some anxiety about this that hadn't hit me yet. And so the night before I went to bed and I did not get to sleep until 6 a.m. Oh. And I had to get up at 7 because I had to go to the airport and pick my mum up. So I got one hour sleep to go and do this fight that night. And then I am take my mum out for the day and the poor thing, I was just, you know, like I, I couldn't converse. I, could, I was yeah, just like, sorry. Yeah. I was just, so, I don't know, this level of anxiety I'd never ever felt before Uh, and I said to her and everybody there is no way on earth I will ever do anything like this again in my life because there is nothing that could ever be worth how I feel right now and I meant that I was like there's nothing there's you that not not million dollars not anything and so we rock up. I remember we rock up to the night and it goes so fast. I remember the first thing I remember is sitting at the table watching fight number one, which was my friend, and this was her second fight, and she won it. And I was like, yes. And then they hand her the microphone, and I was like, what? Oh, if I win this, if I win this, which is obviously my goal, you want me to speak on stage to almost a 1,000 people? I don't think so. So I'm freaking out about that. It was the last thing you really need to be freaking out about before you go into this event. Sure. And then, and then I remember watching a fight. Someone comes and they're like, "What are you doing, mate? Like your your opponent's outside doing sprints." And I laughed. And they're like, "No, I'm serious." And I was like, "Oh, I've got to go warm up." So it was just this mad rush. And I run out the back and I get my gloves on. And you know, like you just it's like your mind is is 20 seconds behind what's happening, and you're getting swept off onto the stage and I'm like, oh, fuck, wait for me, wait for me. Um, and then the the bell goes and we go in and I had that feeling. And then the bell goes and I come back to the corner to my trainer and he's going, what are you doing? Why are you stopping? I go, what do you mean? I had no consciousness in there. I was, I go, when, she, when she would stop the fight when she would cover or or fail to fight back and she would retreat i would stop he goes you don't stop until the judge says stop until the ref says stop and oh. i went and but i was like i don't even i'm not aware that i'm stopping so it was this trigger in my brain that when we're fighting we're in this thing together and we're fighting and then when you stop we just like well, you know like, come on yeah stop, stop, stop. There's a little break here. What, what are you doing? Come on, you ready? <laughs> so he wasn't even aware that I was doing that. But, yeah, she didn't like getting hit. Um, so, yeah, she she anytime she got hit, she, she retreated a lot and she was and they ended up calling the fight by the, by the second round. So Wow, amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Let's say, so you, you come out of that experience. You're like, swear it off. I'm never going to do this again. But yet at some point you obviously, I mean – I would think that yeah. winning kind of changes your tune oh, about that too. Wow. And not even winning, but standing going through it and the fight ending and standing, they hand me the microphone and they had a job to get that thing back off of me. Really? <laughs> I was not short of anything to say. I don't even remember what I said, but I had words. Uh, but I remember the feeling. The feeling was ten times bigger than that awful feeling that I swore nothing was ever be worth. There was no hesitation. In that ring, I said, when is the next one? 
sign me up. I'm here again. But the first big lesson, and I know that you'd mentioned this question to me before, the first big lesson that I learned, and I remember it because I remember standing in that room after the event, watching other fights, but having this processing in my mind, that first lesson was, wow, that was over in four minutes. And that took 12 weeks of constant discomfort, change, confrontation, doing it against my own inner critic, all of this stuff. I had to change my socialising. I had to change the way I eat. I had to change the way I rested. I had to obsess over this. I had to walk forward into things that were that were just so uncomfortable and confronting for me for 12 weeks for a, for a six, maximum six, four to six-minute experience that to everyone else in the world actually holds no meaning. They turn up. Of course, they want you to win, but really it's it's meaningless. But to you, it means a lot. And I just went, that's that a penny dropped for me. I went, that's life. That's life. Anything you want, whether it's a work goal or a life goal or anything, is going to be 12 weeks versus four minutes. That's the work versus the thing. So the thing's got to be worth it. And you've got to put in the 12 weeks. There's no, there's no other way. There's no just rocking up to the four minutes without the 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And Which is I don't why- know for which is why there were a thousand people watching and two <laughs> yeah. people in the ring. <laughs> yes, right? yeah. Because they can vicariously somehow feel like they're experiencing the four minutes. Yes. But in reality, it's not, doesn't compare to what you experienced. Yeah. And I guess that's why people get so passionate and so into sport as supporters. And so they really buy into it like it's their mm-hmm. own. So which this I never idea understood of- previously. Oh, really? You weren't into sports until you really got into boxing? And and even still now, I'm not a huge watcher of sports. Mm-hmm. I'm a do it. Like I'd had, I'd had at least four fights before I said to, some, to, I think it was someone in the gym, I was like, I don't even know how boxing scored. <laughs> no way. <laughs> True story. I don't even know. Like I would go back to the corner and go, how'd I go? <laughs> Because I don't know because winning and losing felt the same because I was just in there focused on what I was doing. I wasn't focusing on what was happening. I was focusing on what I was doing. I was looking after that process and I would wear a lot of punches, but you, you can't focus on them. So I'd have no idea. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of punching, getting punched, like that it just seems horrifying to me. I, I've never been punched. I've been punched in the stomach as a kid, but I've never been punched. I don't really want to get it punched doesn't seem fun to me. Um, so you're punched, obviously, probably in sparring. That would be the first time you were punched. Yep. And what is that moment like? Are you like, okay, that was, bring it on. Like, is it, it just create this adrenaline or does it kind of shock you or what did it do for you? It definitely, it definitely creates adrenaline. And like I said, I learned, a, I learned a lot about myself and I didn't seek to learn it, but I learned a lot of big lessons about myself when I stepped into that boxing ring. And one of the first, and the reason I knew something, I knew very quickly that something under the surface was happening that was resonating that I didn't, you know, it was a bit woo-woo for me. I was like, why am I doing this? I've never done, I've never turned up to anything I'm not already good at. I've never continued on with it. My old boss's wife used to laugh anytime she come into the office. She'd go, oh, what are we doing this week? yoga, running, like, what do we do this week, Tiff? Like, because I always do something different. 
And then I, I found this boxing thing that I, that I was hideous at and I kept going and it was hard and it was confronting and it was uncomfortable all the time and I was like, something's going on here and I, and I need to find out what it is. And it also brought it, – it, I learned very quickly that for 29 years I'd had this mask on that I'd worn that even I didn't know what was underneath and I believed that mask. And then I started asking questions about who I was, like who, and then memories started coming up about childhood, about growing up, about who I am, about the identity that I'd formed. And I was like, what if that identity is not, you know, what this independent, strong-willed, certain, strong female that I've, and they're all great traits, but what if I'm not that? What if I'm, what if I am so petrified of can, like a punch in the face is not scary to me it's scary to everyone else why is it not scary to wait to me and what is what's scary to me is people getting close is people leaving is people hurting me is people breaking my trust all of and then I was like okay there's some stuff here so the boxing ring became my biggest teacher about me and it's not until you put yourself into it or for me it was true I put myself into an environment where Reactions happen primarily before I can write a story about them. So I go in, it's like I get to watch myself, put put myself in there, all this happens, pull myself out, go home. Okay, what did I just see? What did I just see happen and how did, how else is, how else does that play out? Everything tells a story. Everything that happens in that boxing ring happens in my life. And that an example, became... Give me an example of that. Like how? what is something that you felt like you experienced there? You talked about the closing of the eyes, but like, what else did you experience? My biggest one, one thing that I found out was one of my biggest strengths in there was the inability to emote. So there was no emotion. I used to, in fact, the first thing I used to say before I really got deep on the work was, God, I wish I could get, cause I'm, I'm a Taurus. And like I said, as a kid, I'm a flighty, I'm a flighty kid. And if I get angry, I was like, oh, I wish I could get angry in the boxing ring. You know how strong you feel when you're angry at something and you just want to break something? I was like, if I could feel this in the boxing ring, I just feel like I'd be stronger. Like I'd hurt somebody. But I didn't really, like, when someone hit me, I didn't get angry. When someone hit me, I didn't get sad. When someone, there was no emotion. In fact, I remember a trainer saying to me once, we were training, we are doing some drill, and I looked at him and I said, I've just got nothing, I can't do this. And he goes, What? you look like you're not even trying. And I laughed and, and he goes, no, seriously. And then I thought about it and I was like, I've got this poker face. No one sees what's going on. And that was a strength in the boxing ring. But also I never, I never emoted. I never, I never had these emotional reactions. And that was something that had followed me through life. I didn't, I didn't have emotions till, till a lot later. Now, David, in two thousand between two thousand and sixteen and nineteen, I had three years off competing, and I started a business, and I was doing other stuff, and so I had three years of not actually competing in the sport, just training. But over that time, I'd gone and done a lot of therapy on this stuff that it, that I'd brought up through the boxing ring, and I've gone, ah, oh, there's a bit of stuff here I, I should probably work through. When I and and when I chose to work on it, part of me said, "Do you want to?" Because that's going to change you, and that's going to. Ch- so, do you want to be a boxer or do you want to be a, a human? You know, what's more important? 
And I knew that when I worked on this stuff that it was going to change the person in the boxing ring. So in 2019, I went back to my first coach and I said, I want to compete again. And I thought, I don't know who I'm going to be. Who am I going to be? I can't answer that question until I'm in there. And, David, I was a different person. I felt emotions. I reacted emotionally. I flinched more. I flinched more. I had a less of a willingness to, without question, walk forward and just get pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. I would feel the punches more. Mm. And they didn't hurt, but I had this other level of self-care and self-love that I didn't have before. And it, it just interested me, and that's the stuff that's always interested me about the sport. I want a sport that confronts me and I want a sport that tells me a story about myself and I want something that uncovers I don't want to I don't even want to call them weaknesses uncovers traits that can serve me outside in my life I mean boxing changed my life when I looked back after two years of boxing two to three years I glanced over my shoulder at the rest of my life that I'd not focused on at all because boxing was the everything everything else was just a second sideline but everything else had improved I'd gone from a a disengaged employee to an engaged employee to a to an entrepreneur, business owner, you know, my own person. And all of that just happened. And that happened as a result of the stuff that had become behaviours and strategies and rituals and disciplines and the way that I fed and fueled and rested my body and the new mindsets that I'd learned and the new things that I practised every day in a part of this sport because all of that stuff, it's the same stuff. I do, <clears throat> I've done talks and things to corporates on uh, mindset and it's been called the business athlete because every we're an athlete in everything. If we treat life like being an athlete, then we're going to compete well, whether that's work, business, relationships, life. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of become my, I call it my metaphor. I call it my metamor- metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. You had these transformations outside the ring, inside the ring now, like, did you feel like that um, hurt your boxing career, you know, as you started to compete again? Are you still competing now or just more? So I com- I competed training? in 2019 and then we went in and then I had a f- about five or six months off. And then as I started to get back into it, we went into lockdown with our pandemic. We mm. were in lockdown here for four months in hard lockdown. Um, and only really early this year got back into the gyms being open I've started the podcast now and I've done a lot of, I'm doing a lot of different stuff. So my, probably four or five weeks ago, I said to my coach where I'm training, I'm a, I train out of that. I'm a trainer at that gym now, I should say. And I said, oh, I'm going to, I want to compete again. I want to fight again. And I did a couple of weeks of training every day and turning up for the sparring. And I was just exhausted, but I had this unwillingness to let go of this other stuff that is now very important to me. So it, so the the work the deep work didn't hurt my boxing it changed my priorities. Mm-hmm. And so I value boxing and I've always valued boxing not for boxing sake but for the human development underneath sake that's always and that's why I chose my last trainer because he had that sense of you know he's very very tough he was like million dollar baby tough he was I'll break I'll make you a champion or I'll break you but underneath that 
it was the human he was he was dealing with how can i make you a better stronger human how this he understands that this is about biomechanics and human behavior and the nervous system and how we react primarily so he would he he takes that approach and i love that approach because that's what we are you know how do i do this physical thing but what how do i well, there's all this stuff going on inside. There's, you know, how we hold ourselves, how we react, all of these primal movements, and that stuff fascinates me. Mm. And now you're actually training other people and doing boxing classes as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of my – I do a four-week boxing program, and I, I base it for beginners because I love to – I love to teach it, – it, there's so much coordination to boxing, you know, and there's – there's so much. It's very overwhelming. And if you don't do it well, um, even just for fitness, you can injure yourself. Uh, you can feel silly. So I do a I do a box a four week boxing workshop often, and it's aimed at beginners, beginners to intermediates, really, and just really gets them understanding their body and their movement, and yeah, just gives them that that confidence to step out. So if they want to just go to the gym and hit stuff, they can. Or if they want to move into competing, they're getting a really sound base level to do that. And I also just feel that there'll be a level of people coming into that that aren't necessarily coming in wanting to do that, but they'll be like me. They'll be they're looking for that tap on the shoulder. And if and if they at least get this environment where they're taught this stuff and they're spoken to like some, you know, with the strategy and, and something that tells them that I'm teaching you this because you might want to box, they'll get that message that goes, oh, I could do that. You know, it's that tap on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting is, and I don't know if this is normal or or unusual, but I've seen some of your posts online or maybe it was your website where, you know, it's not only boxing, but it seems like you also have this heart to cultivate community with other people, like where they're hanging out afterwards or something like that. That seems unusual to me. Yeah. So (laughs) I love that you mentioned that. So after, (laughs) because I just changed the venue of my boxing workshop and there was, because the place I was holding, it was very expensive, but it took me a lot to change it because it was walking distance to a cafe. Now we do a two hour training session. And then we go for, and most people then come for breakfast. There was one day when we were at breakfast for three and a half hours and my participants were sharing some really deep vulnerabilities. There were tears. They were crying. They were talking about trauma. And to me, you know, boxing became my family and my safe place and my connection. And that's what I want to draw in. I don't, you know, I don't want to draw in people that want the bravado and the ego and yeah, I'm a boxer. I want people that want to empower themselves with a skill and learn something and be better at it and have people that that connect and understand them. I love, you know, the community, community is everything. It's everything. If I was in your class, I think I would suggest, Hey, can we do the hangout first and then <laughs> the boxing? Cause I'd be like, I'm dead after the boxing. <laughs> Well, that's when they need the refuel. That's when they need the food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fun. And and then during the pandemic, you started a podcast called Rolling with the Punches. And I've had the privilege to have a conversation with you on that podcast. Why did you start the podcast? Like what was what's the impetus for this? Yeah. So the reason I started the podcast, or that what I wanted to get out of it was 
I wanted to, I've always had, I've always aspired to and been moving towards slowly and I've, and you know, probably 90% of my work prior to that was personal training and fitness and 10% was corporate and speaking and events and, and that bigger stuff. But I really want to, well, I want to shift that and I want to be out there speaking and running events and mentoring and doing the big stuff that really drives me and really spreads a message. And, well, look, I was fortunate that for the pandemic I got the opportunity to train the Ambulance Victoria paramedics online and as a part of the proposal I put to them as a company, I had Friday, what I called Feel Good Friday and that was just like a social catch-up which within three weeks turned into me lining up what, when I looked at my six-week lineup, I went, that's $30,000 worth of speakers, Australian and international speakers that I've lined up. And these are people just in my network that I know. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the value in that. And then, I, and then I thought as that was going on, I thought this is an opportunity. I could, maybe I could save these audios and one day just when i got 20 of them in my bank, I'll just – roll out, roll them out as a, as a weekly podcast. And then I'll practice podcasting and I'll learn how to do that. And I'm an all or nothing person. So by the time I'd finished saying that in my head, I was driving to the gym with a couple of microphones in my pocket, you know, and I'd thought of the name roll with the punches. And I thought, well, this is ace. And then, you know, it's been three episodes a week since then I'm up to 114. Uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but I've learned more than I've, the two things I wanted to get out of it that I said to you before, I wanted to improve my communication skills. What better way than to communicate with people in a in a way where you know that there will be people listening so it's a different level of communication. And I wanted to raise, I've got a really great strong network, but I think I thought I w- that will bring me the ability to network at a higher level. David Trotter, those two things if I if if I say in my head I was aiming for a ten out of ten of that, I hit a hundred out of ten. Wow! That the you know that my comfort and skills and abilities as a as a communicator, I felt it and I was told it. I have people ringing me and you know three months down the track going, "Oh, your abilities to interview have really improved." This and I was like, "Great! I don't even know what their skills are. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do to get better." But cool if it's happening that's great yeah but the the people that were the people I've had on my podcast have been my I just sit back and go really this is amazing you know and now I get to connect with people all over the world like yourself and I've just learned more than I could have learned in any course or any deliberate situation to go and learn like I've learned so much and I've evolved as a human it's been amazing so fun. So fun. And so um, if you describe roll with the punches, like what would you say is the heartbeat behind like what you're trying to do with the podcast, the people that you're interviewing, kind of what's the through line? The through line is sharing stories about people who have rolled with the punches and sharing education and inspiration on how we can be better equipped to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. So I have people from mates of mine or you know people with no profile to people with profiles that have been through and and tell you know what it was so they people can relate oh my god I'm not the only one 
I'm not the only one. Oh, this person, this happened to them and they've and they've gone on to do this. How inspiring. And then also, you know, science and epigenetics and psychology, psychology and all of the stuff that, you know, how can we as humans, what what better practices, what better knowledge can we have in order to maybe be more ready to live better, do better, be better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of broad, so but it's kind of not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I loved, I love being interviewed by you. I thought you're just great because you're curious. You know what I mean? You're a lifelong <laughs> learner. You're curious. You're fun. You're very accessible. Um, except, I would say you're accessible when I see you like this. When I'm looking at the front of your website, I'm like almost wet my pants because I'm so scared of you. I mean, you look like you could just crush me. Um, <laughs> but I am six five, so I've got some arm length on yeah, you, wow. perhaps that I could keep you at a distance. But I don't know. I still think you just one punch and I'd be done. I'd be down. <laughs> yeah, you look intense uh. on the front of your website. You've got to go check out our website, um, <laughs> TiffanyandCo.com.au. We'll put it in the show notes, of course. And uh, Tiffany with the T-I-F-F-A-N-E-E, did that haunt you your whole life or like as you were growing up? Until the moment when I got to register the business name Tiffany & Co and not get sued by Tiffany & Co. Yes, that's very nice. It is very nice. So eventually by the time I was, what, 30, whatever age I was when I I registered that, I was like, oh, I don't mind the spelling of this name now. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Thanks, Mum. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Where uh, where else do you like to hang out online in terms of social media where people can follow you? They can follow me on, I've got Tiffany and Co on Instagram and also roll with the punches underscore podcast is on Instagram as well. Both of those have relevant Facebook pages. I've recently started a TikTok, but I'm not that savvy. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I'm not that active on it yet. I've signed up to Clubhouse. Don't use that yet either. You know, there's there's a lot already going on. But, yeah, my main ones are, are Instagram and Facebook, and I try to be quite active on those. We will link all of those places up, and you can meet Tiffany's, the love of her life. Uh, oh, he, he, she, is it, she. He, my apologies. She is, uh, she's very hairy. I just didn't know you'd <laughs> go for someone that hairy. Well, you know, each to their own, I guess. <laughs> What's her name? I don't name? think I'll go for someone with a tail either. Her name's Coach. <laughs> She's got some long nails too. Oof, <laughs> man. She's yeah. fancy. She's fancy. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> she Very wears beautiful. nice eyeliner though. What kind of, uh, what breed is she? She's a Whippet. Whippet. Okay. Very yeah. fun. Good, good. Yep. All right. Tiffany and Co., dot com dot au we'll put all the links in the show notes tiffany it's super fun to be with you thanks for sharing your boxing journey and the journey uh, of your heart more than anything so thank you thank you thanks david thanks listeners hey congrats on listening to another episode of inspiration rising why congrats because you're pouring education and inspiration into your mind and heart And that's something we all need if we're going to grow our businesses and reach our goals in life. Now, if you enjoy Inspiration Rising, do us a favor, share it with a friend, take a screenshot of your favorite episode and text it to them. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on their favorite podcast app and click subscribe. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Inspo Text 
That's our daily inspirational text messages. Just text me right now at 949-401-6090. That's 949-401-6090. Just say, hey, Dave, what's up? You'll get an automated reply with a link where you can add yourself as a contact. And of course, you can always unsubscribe. I want you to know today that you're inspired, empowered, and loved. Not because of the way you feel or what anyone else says about you, but because that's your true identity.